that's my life's goal. There is so much. Uh, yes, thank you. There's so much that's found in Scripture that we don't understand and we can't understand. But there's also um, a, an amount of Scripture that we can understand if we study hard enough. Um, and so I spent a great deal of time reading and studying and trying to understand the roots of Scripture. Uh, and it, I think it, it, for me, it, it makes it come alive. And that's why, um, that's why, well, that's this class. So I, I love what, jo what uh, George said last week about uh, the Samaritan woman and um, the, the whiner, uh, the one that was healed by the pool of Bethesda. Um, but I need to comment on that. So if you will. <clears throat> Look, look at chapter 4 for just a second. My assignment is chapter 6, and we're going to get there. But I want to get there uh, hurriedly. I just want to touch on some things. I want to touch on the Jewishness of chapter 4 and chapter 5, which was left out last week. And I just want, to, I just want you to hear what I have to say. The thing, uh, Richard Hunter uh, touched on this last week, but the thing that is most impressive about what Jesus did when he talked to the woman at the well is... He breached a line that rabbis of the day would never breach. Um, let, let's, first, let's do it like this. First of all, and I'm not going to read this, but this is, if you want the reference to Samaritanism, uh, this is the reference. Um, in 2 Kings, they worshipped other gods. They set up sacred stones. I can do this pointer thing if I was smart enough. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles under every high hill and under every, every spreading tree. Uh, they burned incense. They worshipped other gods. You shall not do this. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters in the fire. So, because now this is Israel in the divided kingdom. It's Israel and Judah. This is Israel. This is commentary on Israel. What they did. So as a result of that, the people of Israel were taken away from their homeland and led into exile in Assyria, and they're still there. My point is, Israel was so bad at that point in time that God did something. He allowed Assyria to come in and capture them and take them away and lead them into captivity. Um, and what Assyria was smart enough to do was they sent their own people in... And there were a few Jews that, I don't know, couldn't go, but there were a few Jews left there. And those Assyrians intermarried with them. In Kings and also in um, somewhere else, it talks about Samaritans as squatters. They were squatters. When Nehemiah came back and he, well, let me, let me just go on. If you go down to the next chapter, if you read the next chapter, the Assyrians go back to their king and they say, Hey, the, the God there, man, he's ticked at us. He won't honor anything we do. He won't honor our crops. He won't honor anything we do. And so the Assyrian king said, let's send prophets back to teach the people. So he sent Jewish prophets back to Samaria. To, so it was an intermingled kind of thing. And it happened that way all the way up through Jesus. They were worshiping God. Note, the Samaritan woman says, our father Jacob built this well. She claims Jacob as her father, but yet 
they worshiped five other deities in that, in that realm. When Nehemiah came back and started building the temple, they said, the Samaritans sent a contingent and said, hey, we want to help you build the temple. And they said what? No way. We're building this out of purity to worship Yahweh. You guys won't give up your cults. You won't give up your sexual practices, your Asherah poles, and you sacrifice children. We're not going to put up with that. So that's one precursor. Jesus intentionally went back through Samaria. Why would he do that? Jesus, a rabbi, uh, why would he go back through Samaria? It's because Galileans, Galilee in the north, where's the map? Galilee in the north, Jerusalem is way down here, Galilee in the north, all this area right here is what the Assyrians took. Galileans were almost hated as much as Samaritans. So look at the conversation. Just once again, go back to four. The Samaritan woman says, said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? I don't know what your Bible says, but let me tell you what the Greek says. Your Bible probably says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The Bible, the Greek literally says, Jews don't drink after Samaritans. They don't use the same utensils as Samaritans. So number one, Samaritans are hated. Number two, rabbi, well, Jewish men don't talk to Jewish women. Unless you have a relation with that woman, you don't go around the sidewalk and go, hey, Katie Sue, you don't do that. You just walk on and that's what you do. Jewish rabbis never talk to women. Never. There's a sect of Phariseeism <laughs> the, 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 bottom, the bottom line, and that's a good point, the Jewish women didn't count. The Jewish women just didn't count. So when Paul says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male, I mean, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male, no female, it's ook, no male, no female. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. Every Jewish woman that ever believed in anything went, you mean I can be baptized? I might listen to this. This is good. So there's a sect of Judaism called, <laughs> called uh, rabbinically, it's called the bruised and bleeding ones. And literally what they do is when they see a woman on the sidewalk, they go, and they keep walking. And so they bump into things, and they're called the bruised and bleeding ones. That's, exa that's, what, that's exactly what I thought about when, it, when he was talking about that. Let me, let me uh, this, is a, this is a little crass, but let me go ahead and, and say this uh, just so you know what this is. There, in rabbinical lore in Mishnah Torah, it says, Samaritan women are minstrants from the cradle. There you go. There is no way that a Samaritan woman could ever go. You remember I drew the temple deal and you got the Gent court of the Gentiles, you got the men, you got Samaritan women can't even get into the court of the Gentiles. Samaritans are ugh, 
And Jesus goes up and says, hey, give me a drink. Let me tell you what I think John's doing. I think John's an old man in his 80s. I think he's seen this fledgling Christianity start from Pentecost. 3,000 men were added that day. Men, we don't count the women. We didn't count the women. Even here, we don't count the women. Um, but Jesus counted women. You think about, we've already had a confrontation with Jesus' mother. I didn't really like what he said to her and all that, but he did what she said. Now he goes up to a Samaritan woman. Think about that. Think about Mary Magdalene washing uh, his feet with her hair, anointing him for burial. Uh, think about Mary and Martha, him going into their home. And he, he allows Mary to sit at his feet as if she were studying along with her his Talmudim. That's unheard of. Jesus treated women different. And John wants us to see that Jesus treated women different. When we were studying women's role three, for two and a half years in theology, we got up every, every Sunday morning, we'd come in here and we'd hash it out. And we'd look. And I, I had a young man tell me one day after I was quoting Scripture, I was quoting Paul, and he said, don't quote Paul to me until you're willing to listen to me about what Jesus did. Jesus is what matters. Jesus is what matters. We may, read, we may misinterpret Paul, but look at how Jesus treated women. It changed the way. I think John's commentary on the whole women's deal, he saw the church becoming more and more patriarchal. It even goes to the, the, all this Catholic stuff. Women had no role and I think John's commentary is, yeah, it did too. Okay, that's enough of that. So, um, go to the uh, go to the the uh, the winer. Where's the winer? Go to the healing pool. Look at chapter five. George was very kind to this guy. I don't like this guy. Um, in my Bible, I've listed him as the winer and or Judas pre-Judas. He's pre-Judas. That's who he is. Um, now, sometime later, he went up to the pool. And by the way, we're talking about Samaritans being perpetual, Samaritan women being perpetually unclean. What other class of people are perpetually unclean in Judaism? The crippled, the lame, lepers. Let me give you another one that nobody ever thinks about: shepherds. Shepherds are perpetually unclean. Think about it. A shepherd could never walk into a synagogue. Why? Because he's got sheep dung between his feet. Cannot do it. Okay. <clears throat> he went up to the pool in Jerusalem, which um, is by the sheep gate, the pool of Bethesda. Now let me tell you, there's two pools inside the, the city of Jerusalem. One of them is the Pool of Bethesda, which is by the Sheep Gate, where the guys are perpetually unclean, and the Pool of Shalom, which is just right beside the town. Now, which one do you think is the country club, and which one do you think is the, the pond? <coughs> the Sheep Gate one, the Pool of Bethesda. That's by the church at St. Anne, which St. Anne, Jordan tradition, was Mary's mother. That's the one where the priest 
came, uh, Josh and I were giggling about something. And we had just sang a song. It has incredible acoustics. We just sang a song, and this priest is 80 years, he's in his 80s, and he's in full priestly regalia. And he's across the way from me, and he comes walking over. And he gets right up in my face. He goes, you, you look like Trump. <laughs> Josh literally fell on the floor. And I said, Father, you have hurt me deeply. Okay. <clears throat> Here a great number of disabled people used to lie blind and lame, paralyzed. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew. If your Bible says he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, it, that's not correct. It's gnosis. He knew that this guy had been in a condition for a long time. He knew who he's talking to. And he looks at him and he says, Do you will to be whole? I want you to think about this. Do you really want to be well? Because I don't think you do. Because if I was there for 38 years, Sir, I have no one who helped me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody goes in ahead of me. For 38 years? I might get the first couple of times, but for 38 years, I'm laying on the side of the pool with one foot in the water, waiting for the water to be stirred, and I'm getting in the water. Somebody read verse 4 there to me, if you don't mind. Somebody read verse 4. Okay. Where is 4? Verse 4 doesn't exist. Verse 4 is was written. Written is we're one of... I'm sorry? You fell right for it, though. I love that. <laughs> Here's the point. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat. Jesus said, get up, son, your faith has healed you. Look at it. He didn't say anything about his faith. Why not? He didn't have any faith. Why Jesus picked this guy, I don't know. Here's the point. On the day this took place, it was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man, Who is the man that healed you? It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Somebody show me where that says that in the law. It doesn't say that in the law. It's in Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah is commentary on Torah. And here the Bible is quoting Mishnah Torah. To the Pharisees, there were 39 things that you cannot do on the Sabbath if you're going to keep the Sabbath holy. 39 things. Um, you can't turn on lights. You can't drive a car. You can't cook. You can't pick up your mat. You can't. Uh, what is a Sabbath day's walk? Anybody? It's uh, Miami Beach because the, because the, the uh, that determined that the entire island of Miami Beach is within. The is that could, would that be more than four tenths of a mile? The tradition is four tenths of a mile, but there is an there is a an Orthodox Jewish uh, um, guy that walks his family back and forth to um, 
temple on Saturday, and it, it's the cutest thing. I mean, he's full Hasidic dress, and he carries his family. But that's, and I, I know temples further than four-tenths of a mile. Tradition is four-tenths of a mile is what it is. Here's the one that blows me away. On the Sabbath, you see, I love my bed. I love my bed. We have, Del and I have this great bed. She can be on her side, I mean, we don't ever even see each other. It's great. <laughs> and we got this, like, got this, it's, it's, it's a, I just said, I want a room, just fill it with a bed. And it's got like a fan. And so every morning when I wake up about six o'clock, I look over at my alarm clock because we don't use alarm clocks. I look over there and I go, I've got 10 more minutes. And I just pull the covers, I roll over and, oh, it's just, that's the greatest thing. If you're a Sadducee, if you're a Pharisee, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you go, it's today the Sabbath. Because if it's the Sabbath, I cannot turn over in bed or I have broken the rules. And so every time Jesus does a healing in John, he does it on the Sabbath to do what? Just to drive them batty. I love it. <clears throat> but he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. You couldn't say, I can't do that because that's against the rules. So they asked him, Who is this fella? Never mind, you've been there for 38 years and you're well. Who is this fella? The man who had healed had no idea, for Jesus had slipped away in the crowd. Later that, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, you're well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We all cringe when he says that. But what if that guy was back at the temple and now he's begging again? What if he was back to doing the same thing he'd done for 38 years? That's how I take that. The man went away. Here's my favorite part. The man went away and he told the Jews, it was him that made me well. This is pre-Judas. Don't paint this guy in a good light. So, because Jesus was doing on these things on the Sabbath, Jesus said to him, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. If you say work on the Sabbath, they go, and he says, God's working? Since the fall of man, God has been about one thing, and that's what? The redemption of mankind. 24-7, he's been working. I'm going to work too. Um, I don't know where, I'm, where I am here. Um, oh, let's... Uh, it's not there. Um, so... He says, here's their question. What evidence can you give that you are who you say you are? This is the latter part of chapter 5. And Jesus says, I'll give you, you want evidence, you've got to have two things to have evidence. I'm going to give you four things. And that won't be enough for you. So Jesus says, number one, I testify about myself that I am who I say I am. That's not going to work because he just claims that testimony. John the Baptist said, this is who I am. That was valuable because it was insufficient because it was human testimony. And God's work. I just healed the whiner in front of you guys. Don't you think that came from God? They don't accept that either. And then Scripture, 
You've degraded it by corrupting it with their oral tradition. Their oral tradition is Mishnah. That's oral tradition. You don't have his word living in you or you wouldn't act the way you do. I'm, I'm going through this quickly because we've got to get to six because that was my assignment and I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the Jews to this day are looking for two, two things. They're looking for a, the prophet like Moses. That's Deuteronomy 18. And they're looking for Elijah to return. That's Malachi 4.5. Jesus says in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is Elijah the prophet, if you can stand it, if you can, if you can take it. And he is acting like the prophet, like Moses. Who, what, was the, what is the one thing that Moses did that God told him to do? How would you be like Moses? Moses did this. He only did exactly what God told him to do, except for the time when he struck, struck the rock. And he only said exactly what God told him to say. Go back to that speech of Jesus right here. Look at, look at verse 19. Jesus gave him this answer. Hey man, hey man, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because what it, whatever the father does, the son also does. Who's that sound like? Prophet like Moses. He's the prophet. Um, here's Jesus' biggest claim in this section. Look at chapter, verse 24. Hey, man, hey, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. How many of your versions say that? Will have eternal life? Look again. Oh, okay. Okay, because that's very important here. Because Yes, because it's realized eschatology. It's what George was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you have it. Right now, it's not something you're going to get at judgment. You have it. You will live forever. It's eternal life. Is that good news? That's good news. <clears throat> okay. Um, Let's, let's go to chapter 6. So we're back to, back to the place I love. We're back to the Sea of Galilee. Um, this is my favorite place in all the world right here, Arbella. Not found in the Bible, but it's a big mountain. And up upon that mountain, you can see everything. You can see the King's Highway that runs right up through here. You can see Capernaum. You can see Chorazim. You can see Bethsaida. You can see Magdala. You can see everything from right there at that one place. 67% of Jesus' ministry occurred right there. You, can see you can't see Nazareth, but Nazareth is 16 miles up this valley called the Valley of the Doves. There's Cana. I, I think Cana is closer to Nazareth, but I'm not going to. I didn't do the map. But 16 miles that way. Everything is right here. Okay? So. Sometime after Jesus crossed over to the far shore of Sea of Galilee, that's Tiberias, and the, a great crowd followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. Jesus went up on the, on the hillside. That's, it's not a hillside, it's the hillside. So this is a hillside that they went up on quite a bit. It's a definitive article. And he sat down with the disciples. 
the Jewish Passover feast is near. Now, if you're keeping track, and I hope you are, how many Passovers is this in John? I'm sorry? This is the second one, James, the second one. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, we got one year left. The Gospel of John, he's had 50 years to formulate all these deals. And he comes up and he gives us five full chapters before he starts the road to the cross. He's headed to the cross. That's the most important thing. He spends seven chapters on the final week. Okay. Uh, the Jewish Passover was here. So this, uh, this area where he is, ah, well, I could do it there. This area where he is is up over in this, this area. Um, this is what is now called the Golan Heights. Uh, up until the 67 War, this was Syria. This is the Golan Heights over in Bethesda. The Jordan River is right there. Bethesda, literally in Greek and Hebrew, means house of bread. So he goes up in the fields where they got grain to bake the bread and he tells them to sit down. He saw miraculous signs. Uh, they saw the miraculous signs that he performed on the sick. He went up on a hillside and he sat down with the disciples. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward them. And he said to Philip, who is from Bethesda, Hey, Philip, where are you going to buy people for these, bread for these people to eat? John whispers in our ear. He asks this only to test him because he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip said, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for everybody to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, they live in Capernaum. Simon Peter's brother said, Here's a, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? By the way, the Roman soldiers, when they were being punished, they would be fed barley. That's how great that bread was. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. 5,000 men... Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to all those who were seating. He did the same with the fish. And when they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pea. P-E-A-H. Gather the pea. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's contained in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 4,000 in Mark was about abundance. When they got done, they gathered how much in Mark? Here they gathered 12. That's, that's good. They gathered seven perfect. They gathered seven huge basketfuls. The four, feeding of the 4,000 was about God's abundance. The feeding of the 5,000 is about God's care. Gather the pea. The P is the part that is for the faithful servant. After every meal, 
the servants got together their pea, it would be just enough. They would try to make it just enough where they could have another meal. That's what it was about. <clears throat> Let's keep going. So they gathered them and they filled 12. We do this in, um, um, we don't do it anymore. What's the vacation Bible school? They filled 12 big baskets full. No, they filled 12. You know what a poke is? Anybody know what a poke? I'm about to teach you some. Uh, a poke is a is a it's like a little bandana where you put your lunch and carry it on the end of a stick. That's a poke. They gathered twelve pokes, enough for each one of them. My grandmother used it as a sack. As a sack? She would say, "Honey, would you would you get me a poke to put this in?" That's that's why I said because that's lost on everybody else here. Just you, me, and you got that. No. <laughs> Did you grow up in McMillville? No, I know you didn't. <clears throat> um, after the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the, referring to Deuteronomy 18. Surely this is the prophet who's coming to the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him bread king, he withdrew again to the hills by himself. I love this because we're always told that he goes up with his Talmudim, he stays with his Talmudim. But no, this time he had to go alone. I hope that he went to Arbel, but I don't know if he did or not. Um, when evening came, I want you to watch what happens here because Jesus is going to start pushing his people away. This is, it's over after this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and they set off sail for four miles across the lake to Capernaum. So I think they probably were at Tiberias. Well, actually, Bethesda. And they're going to travel over here. The lake is only four miles wide and 13 miles long. So it's not that, not that big a lake. Seems pretty big when you're on it. And so they went over to Capernaum. It's easier to get in a boat than it was to walk around all this craggy shore. So they got into a boat and they went over there. By now it was dark and Jesus had not joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed three or four miles, so they're almost there, they saw Jesus approaching in a boat, walking on the water. And they were terrified. And he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. He said, Ego a me. Now, I'm not going to dispute with George. George knows a lot more than I do. But there's a where's, where's the other one that that the other ego of me that is in here, and I just laughed at how convoluted the translation was. Uh, I can't find. If somebody could find it, I'll I'll show it to. But it's somewhere in this whole deal. It says, um, "I am the one who is speaking," or something like that. That's not what he said. He said, "Ego of me." Ego and me. And I think seven times in John, like when he says, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I think he is saying, I'm God. Tetragrammaton, I'm God. I'm the one who Moses referred to. Who is who are you, God? I am that I am. Ego and me. So 
You can choose to read it any way you want to. When they had rowed three or four miles, he saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking in the water, and he said, Ego a me, don't be afraid. They were willing to take him in the boat. The shore immediately, John whispers, immediately the boat that they were in made it to shore. Immediately. They were close, but immediately it made it to shore. Don't know how that happened. But let me talk about this for just a second. If you've ever been here, there are mountains that are all the way to about right there. Okay? Mountains. If we go back, where's Arbel? If we go back to Arbel, Arbel is a peak that juts out, and now this is valley. Everything below here is, is mountain. So everything, and, and when you go to Israel, there are A sites, there are B sites, there are C sites. An A site is, yes, Jesus was here. Very few A sites. There are a lot of B sites. He probably was within 150 feet of this area. Okay? And there are C sites. The Catholic Church built a church here. We have no idea if he ever even drove by here. That, that's bottom line. That, for instance, there's two, uh, two churches to the Transfiguration. There's Renell back there. Hi, Renell. I didn't see. Uh, two churches uh, built for the Mount of Tran Transfiguration, one on Tabor and one on Hermon. They couldn't figure out which one. So they just built a church there. That's a seaside. But I get goosebumps when we're out on the Sea of Galilee. We leave from Tiberias and we just kind of ride around on the surface. I get goosebumps because the storm had to happen right here. This sits a lee. This is protected. It never gets. For me, that just does it. That just does it. You, you can build all the churches you want, Church of the Holy Sepulcher, all the gaudy stuff. I don't. Right there, that's my deal. That's where I am. <clears throat> okay. The next day, the crowd that had stayed opposite the shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. So how, did he, how would he leave? They were waiting on him. But that it, it had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed to the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord gave thanks. Once they realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got in their boats and went looking for him to Capernaum. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? That's not really what I want to ask, but I'm making small talk. I'm hungry. It's morning. Feed us again. That's what they want to ask. And Jesus says, Hey, man, hey, moon. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, for which the Son of Man will give you. On him the Father has placed his seal of approval. That seal, that's the same seal 